How many days to the race? Eleven, ten, something like that, I think. Eleven hours, no, eleven days, sixteen hours, thirteen minutes, and twenty-nine, twenty-eight, twenty-seven, twenty-six seconds. I might have a counter on my computer. All you right. know what? That's, that's a, a pretty good way to keep track of how long it is until the first race. I mean, I mean we're all counting down, but maybe not all of us that specifically. I, you know what? When it ticked over from 100 days into 99, I got very excited. It's, it's been a long time, okay? And it's so close. We started the last podcast with this very same discussion, and I think it, it's, <laughs> thankfully the next podcast won't start with this discussion, because obviously by the time we have the next podcast, we will have raced in Australia. Yes. I'm so excited. I'm it's going to be awesome. Look, I'm looking forward to it, but I think it's going to really induce some serious homesick feelings in me. I mean, I don't know what that is like. <laughs> I'm I mean, sorry. Like, like, I'm so used to the whole, like, I mean, last year the Grand Prix was on and, and you know, obviously, as I said in the last podcast, I haven't gone to any of the races, but the feel it kind of gives Melbourne is really great. I mean, it's on all of the media. There's stuff happening all the time. I mean, last year I got stuck in traffic and because of that saw Jensen Button on a sidewalk and literally was, like, sitting in my little car being like... <gasps> Out of side window, say, like a complete weirdo. <laughs> Excellent. I mean, it kind of turns whatever city you're in into like this weird kind of surreal. Uh, suddenly, there's people from all over the world in this city that aren't usually. Yeah, there. I mean, I think Australia is a little bit less because. I mean, it's, it's so far away. We bring in, obviously, all the foreign people from the teams, but the the tourist aspect of it is a little less than going to some places simply because it just takes so freaking long to get to Australia that sometimes it's just not worth it. Yeah, makes sense. But, yeah, yeah. oh, my gosh, we're almost there. We've almost made it through. And Yes, yes, and so for both of us, it's a 1 a.m. race. Oh, man, I can't wait to re-bring back... Drunk Americans watching F1. You can all join in with that. Well, I, I won't be fun. joining in because I will be at work. <laughs> I'll be at yeah, work, and so I'm going to try and get and put it up on one of the big screens for me, and I may hang around for a little bit and watch it there, and then obviously turn everything off. But um, I probably probably can't can't have a drink or two there. But I'll be watching it. Well, I'm you can look forward watch. to it. Yes, it's going to be great. It, it's it, going to be great, it, and I, I just I can't wait to to see you know, what all of the, everything that they've done this winter and how all the changes are going to be and I want to watch my team blow and everyone else. How badly, how badly McLaren <laughs> is going to do. Oh, no. and, I mean, it's, remember last year at the start of the race and they were basically like, we were all talking and we were thinking, how many cars are we going to get at the finish line? And we figured we'd probably get less than half a grid. I think they got a little bit more than half a grid at the finish line last year and they were pretty, they were pretty like, yeah, about that. But uh, this year is an improvement. I suspect that short of uh, short of accidents, we'll see probably a lot more at the finish line. Being said, we're down four cars than we were last year. Well, I mean, we may be down. We may be down two. So the race is just over eleven days, and neither of us can wait. But we should probably talk about the last two rounds of testing. But before that, before we get into testing, before we get into all the kind of shit that's going down. If you're going to race cars, mate, you're going to crash cars. you telling me you made a time machine out of a McLaren? Oh, my dad always says you shouldn't hit boys, mate. Huh? Uh, well, we're not friends. Well, racing is life. Anything that happens before or after. Just waiting. You're listening to The Grid Girls with Saski and Sarah. Big ups on our intro there. Sarah picked the music and I picked all the really nerdy sports quotes. You could tell that I did the picking for the sheer amount of Mark Webber Australian comments in there. I tried <laughs> to get her to cut them out, but... All right, enough about our intro. we got to actually talk about real things that have happened. Like Barcelona. Let's talk about Barcelona. Not just, not just one set of testing, two sets of testing. Just like in Jerez? 
looks like looks like Mercedes is kind of blowing everybody out of the water. They actually, you know, put the the soft tires on and set a good time this set of testing instead of like hiding their hand and not really going as fast as they possibly could. So yeah, they decided that maybe now about now was a good time to stop sandbagging it. Yeah, you know, uh, let's stop derping around the circuit and actually go for it. So. But, yeah, it's, like uh, that being said, Mercedes did really well, but neither of the drivers seemed super happy with the outcome. They see, I don't know, maybe they're just playing their card close to their chest as well, but they didn't seem really like, yeah. That's like when the straight-A student gets like a 97 on a test and is like, well, you know, I didn't really like the questions. I think I could have probably done... Yeah, you know what? Shut up. You're setting an eighth of a eighth of a second faster time than per lap than everyone else. Yeah. Uh, you can you can deal with a little setup issue. You know Come what? on. You're good. Get over Be. it. Thank you. Yeah. Maybe take it some some grace and some humble day. brag. Humble brag. My setup wasn't perfect. Oh oh okay. <laughs> Guess what? <All> right. <laughs> everyone hates you. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so um, the other teams though. Let's talk about everybody else, yeah, not just look, the winners. We could talk about Mercedes, <laughs> but to be honest, nothing. There, there's nothing exciting in the discussion about Mercedes. They're very good. No one's surprised. End of story. Yeah, that's yeah. true. End of story. You know, do you know who's not very good? Uh, I could name a couple teams, but I guess we could talk about McLaren next, right? Well, I, I was more going Force India, but to be honest, McLaren and Force India are both Pretty bad. At the I don't. I don't know what's going on. I mean, okay, I do know what's going on. Force India actually made it to the second round of Barcelona testing with their 2015 car, and and, and one of the only reasons they managed to make it to the testing is because they struck a deal with Mercedes to drive the Mercedes test driver for two days. Pascal Werlein is delightful. Okay, he is he a is, delightful. Right, but he's also. <laughs> Mercedes, not Force India. <laughs> Mercedes, right? Yeah. yeah. No, you he know, is you know, um, a bit dicey when you uh, have to strike a deal with another team. I, I believe, look, I'm assuming it had something to do with the money that, that Force India probably owe Mercedes. Oh, of course, of course. Plus, they're using Mercedes engines, so it's not like he can't use a little bit of experience, you know? No, and, and that's the thing. It's a great deal for Mercedes because they get their guy with two days' practice in a Formula 1 car, and that's what they want to mm -hmm. be getting him. But it's also a good deal for Force India because they're a little bit short on the moolah right now. That's and true. Force India actually lucked out. Mm. Uh, the first day of Barcelona testing, uh, Lewis Hamilton was sick and Nico Rosberg was hurt. So halfway through the day, Hamilton had to actually bail out of testing. So I think Perez got to get in the Force India that day and got to get a couple more laps in while Wehrlein took over the Mercedes car. But no, you're right. It, it's kind of... Uh, it speaks a little bit to the state of where Force India are right now monetarily that they need to, you know, let a guy from another team come test their car to, yeah. you know, Force make a little India bit of money back. But. Force India is one of those teams that kind of straddle the division between talent driver and pay driver. Mm -hmm. you know, like yeah, they have one each. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and even then, um, you know... I suspect that probably both of them bring a certain amount of money, but mm -hmm. not to the same kind of level and and requirements that guys like um like uh Sauber, uh, Ericsson and 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 Nazar bring to the to the team. You know, they're they're kind of in that that middle gap there between being really yeah. talented drivers and having a bit of money to kind of get them to get them in there. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, Perez isn't a bad driver. Hulkenberg's obviously really good. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I, I've always kind of pulled for them a little bit. I really hope that they, you know, figure their shit out and that the first race goes okay for them. Look, I, I do too. I, I'm, I was going to say I'm fond of them, but I'm, it's undeniable I'm pretty much fond of every team on the grid yeah. almost. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I can even probably find somewhere where I'm kind of like, okay, Lotus, come on. Come on. Um, I mean, we're gonna talk about we're gonna look we're gonna talk about Lotus extensively a little bit later on, um, and I think anyone who knows us can guess what we're gonna talk about. But that's it's not what we're talking about now. We're talking about teams that were doing terribly, and McLaren. Look, oh. I, I, my, right. my notes for the podcast literally says McLaren. Yeah, good luck with that. 
You know, they, they posted a thing today that said they don't even expect to make it to the end of the race in Australia. Like, they're already basically giving up, which kind of is awful. It's yeah. not kind of awful. It is awful. It like, is awful. What? I mean, look, this is the first year Honda are getting back in. And Honda have a lot of money to put behind a lot of resets. And you know what? Maybe they're not great this year. But I think it's still a really good thing to have Honda in the sport. So you might just have to be like, you know what, we accept that this year is going to just be a shit show. But you know what, suck it up and at least try. You know, oh, come on, don't, don't, be, don't be already saying that you're, oh, we're not going to make it to the end. You know what, no, don't do that. Um, you know what, also, you that inside, maybe just don't publicly announce that. Cause you, and, and yeah, that's your fans that, probably already know that. Yeah, they're assuming. They don't need you backing up their, their assumptions. Um, side note. We will talk about Alonzo a little bit later, but can you imagine if, like, Magnuson beats Button in Australia? Look, here's the thing. What I saw, I, I, I just, just imagine <laughs> K-Mags. I just feel like, Alonzo's not racing, K-Mags you're in, and he's just like, here is my opportunity. <laughs> no, K-Mags, yeah. here is not your opportunity, because no matter what happens, you're filling in for Fernando Alonso. No matter how yeah. good you do, he's oh. still Fernando Alonso. <laughs> I honestly, I do hope that something crazy happens. Like he makes it to the end of the race, scores points, and you know Jensen Button DNFs or something. It's one race, you know. Come yeah, on, yeah. let him oh, no, let no, him no, have no, a little fun. Let him have it, and and that's the thing. Like, hey, we we know he's good on his track in Australia. He came second last year. Yeah, yeah, that was. He true. came well. He technically came second. He was originally awarded third, but hey, you know, like. We're not, yeah, we'll, we'll... We're not talking about Daniel Ricciardo in that race, because... Angry Australians if, being look, angry about Australia. that race went down, right? <laughs> we decided to get together and watch that race, right? I, I embraced drunk Americans watching F1 and drank. I was on Skype with you. There was a bottle of vodka. By the end of the race, there was not a lot of vodka left. So the mm -hmm. race finishes at 6. Presentations happen. Probably watch the race for another 40 45 minutes. I reckon I fell asleep slash passed out maybe about 7, 7.30. Woke up the next morning, boom, no champion, no second place for Daniel Ricciardo. How sad like, for you. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, wait a second, wait a second. I went to sleep and he had come second. I went to sleep and he was second. I have woken up, he is disqualified. I don't agree with <laughs> I woke up. I was so disorientated the next morning. <laughs> I had all these messages from you when other people just been like, oh my god. Sasky, wake up. Sasky, wake up. Yeah. And I'm like unconscious on the middle of my bed. <laughs> good job. Fair enough. But so look, the Force India aren't very good. You know who's actually surprisingly good this year? It's going to be Ferrari. You know, Vettel seems to have made a good choice jumping over there. Uh, they've actually figured out their nonsense from last year. And I think it's a little bit boggling because we're talking about a team here who was so bad last year that practically everybody in senior management got fired. And well, not honestly, just once, like multiple times. <laughs> Maybe that's what needed to happen, though, because it seems like they're actually listening to Raikkonen about how he wants the car set up as opposed to last year where they set the car up for Alonso. Um, and he and Vettel have a similar preference to how they like the car setup, it seems. So we'll see. I think, and I think that's probably with an organization like Ferrari. So much of Ferrari is built on the history and the esteem of being Ferrari. You know that I think it gets to a certain point when sometimes you do just have to clean house because complacency sets in to the fact where you can say, well, we're Ferrari, you know. Well, that's well and good, but red paint and a prancing horse doesn't actually win you the races. It's the cars right. that you build. And the complacency, I think, potentially is something that, 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 that's set in there, you know. Like, they were trying and there was disagreement and these things and it just kind of got to a point where people were like, oh, well, you know, no, actually, <laughs> it's not working. Let's start again. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know what? If, if they can challenge for, you know, points at the front, good for them. Uh, I hope that's how this year goes. That should be fun. 
Um, one more thing about Barcelona testing before we move on. Um, I did this fun little thing when I was, you know, bored at work the other day, where I was trying to figure I, uh, out. I, I get the I get the sneaking suspicion that you being bored at work is a semi-regular thing. Some of the stuff that you send. It's not though. It's not because I I use this data data software where like I don't know I can I can visualize specific chunks of data and a lot of the times like just to test out a couple charts I'll toss F1 data in there and actually we've used it for stuff at work which is really fun. That's cool. Um, but one, of, one of the things I did the other day was um, when the final day of testing in Barcelona happened they put out a thing with all the total distances that the drivers drove over the you know mm -hmm. between Jerez and the two Barcelona tests and uh, I figured it out that Nico Rosberg drove 2,147.6 miles, which is the equivalent of driving from New York to Seattle and a third of the way back. That's impressive. That's damn impressive. That's like um, from the bottom of Australia to the top and I think back probably halfway. Yeah, it's pretty damn You'd far. You probably go across um, Australia too with that. <laughs> uh, but then, you know, obviously you look back at the Force India cars, Hulkenberg did... Chicago to New York. Yeah. That's that I can do that in a day. That's nothing. Yeah. So, um yeah, I I'm going to try to map out the rest of everybody and kind of put it on a real world globe. So, I should have that out next week at some point. Cool. So we'll um if if obviously that will be out after this podcast is. So, I will try and remember to put it or we will put it on our website, which if you are looking for this podcast, you've either found there or elsewhere, but if you Found us on iTunes. You should check us out at uh, thegridgirls.com, where you can find the yeah, podcast. Yeah, we have a real site now. We have I'm a real site right with actual too. stuff, and we've got writing that should be going on there soon. Um, yeah. So we've so let's move on from Barcelona because testing is done. The real shit is on its way. So excited. I know, I know. We keep coming back to that. We're like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Yeah. But yeah. I guess I guess we're not really getting away from testing because we're going to talk about Fernando Alonso and the accident he had in um, the, the the second test, so the first test in Barcelona, um, that has now seen him miss. So he spent three days in hospital, missed the, the second set of Barcelona testing and is now being withdrawn by the team and his doctors from the first race in Australia. We will hopefully see him in the second race in Malaysia, which is a fortnight later. But... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> look, look the American there, a fortnight. Look, a fortnight is a term that we, the rest of the world uses. Yeah, I just... I, yeah, no, I know what a fortnight is. It's fine. Um, what I wanted to talk about really quickly, though, is kind of the reaction to... the media reaction mm -hmm. to Alonso being sat out of Australia, which is... He, ha he has a concussion, okay? Yeah. So the he had a concussion. About, from, as I said, the context of what you're about to say and what I'm about to say is you and I both have a background in contact sports that involve concussions and both of us probably also, I know I have uh, several sports medicine diplomas and I'm assuming you have some form of sports first aid background being involved with teams yeah. for long enough. Yeah, and I mean, we come from, between the two of us, both playing and watching contact sports, where, you know, in hockey and in soccer, like, this has kind of been a thing that's been hammered home repeatedly over the last couple of years with concussion protocols being updated and head injury, you know, rulings in the CBA and everything. Mm -hmm. um, between that and uh, I actually played rugby in college and had an experience where I was knocked unconscious, had to be taken to the hospital, I woke up in the ambulance. Um, and, you know, numerous other players on my team had concussions as well. And the one thing that they always drilled into our heads, not literally, <laughs> um, was that if you had one concussion, you were out for the season. Yeah. No, no, no questions asked. Because second impact syndrome, which is obviously the second concussion is going to be yeah. worse than the first because you're already susceptible. Yeah. Um, we didn't want to be put at risk of that. And, yeah. and you know, knowing that, it's been four weeks if that since Alonzo's first injury, mm -hmm. uh, it's been, no, so it's been less than four weeks. That could yeah, be right. two weeks since Alonzo's injury. And right, then when we look to Australia, Australia's four weeks, whereas right. Malaysia is six weeks. And so Alonzo has been cleared 
that they have said Alonso has been cleared for his concussion. The fact that he is partaking in physical activity suggests that he has passed the baseline tests, passed the concussion system tests, and so forth. However, that doesn't mean that he is no longer as susceptible to a concussion as he would be mm -hmm. as if he had a concussion. So six weeks is kind of about the kind of about the time frame that they say they give for allowances for um, uh, second impact syndrome if you have had a identified concussion. Now right. we don't know an awful lot about the injury because whilst we see what McLaren has told us. I get the distinct feeling from the, I guess, the media that what we understand from what McLaren has said is to be taken with a grain of salt, because anything Ron Dennis says is is notoriously non-committal. And whilst they're saying these things, there's a there's room to be things that don't necessarily match up. We're not going to get into that because it's really of no, I guess, pertinence to to what happened. There's an accident happened. He ended up in a wall. How he got there is is irregardless for this conversation. We know he wasn't electrocuted. They've established that. They've told you the scientific thing. Yada yada yada. But we know he went into a wall. He was knocked out. He was unconscious for a while. He ended up being sedated. He was transported. He was in hospital for three days. If you um, are required to be in hospital for three days, you've clearly required monitoring for symptoms of concussion. You and I have both ended up in hospital with a concussion. Yeah. I actually ended up in a hospital with my concussion several days after the original impact. So I at least you did yours playing rugby. I did mine to myself on a car yeah, door in a car park. <laughs> like I mean, I've had several minor ones. I was an ice hockey goaltender. I'm very short. My head in the goal bar got sandwiched between several different players before. Um, but my major concussion, I landed into a car, jumped back, took it across the side of the head, and essentially knocked myself out. I was a bit headachey for two or three days. Third day falling over, slurring, couldn't talk, couldn't walk in a straight line, walking into things, yada, yada, yada. So the part of keeping Alonzo in hospital for these, this time is obviously to keep a monitor of any symptoms that may evolve. They've cleared him. But I actually think it's a really, I, I want to say ballsy move for him to say, hey, I'm going to not partake in that race. You know these guys are racers and you know that they've probably taken some seriously bad judgment calls before getting in cars, all those kind of things. But he said, hey, I'm not racing. I think there's a little bit of the reason for him not. If McLaren don't expect to finish the race in Australia, what's the point of putting him in a car and taking that risk? Yeah, exactly. exactly. When you can put K-Mags in and have K-Mags not finish. Yeah, true. True. Um, I was also going to say, uh, obviously concussions affect everyone differently. Yeah. Uh, so you don't know. Maybe he's still feeling. Maybe he hasn't passed the baseline test. I mean, you can do physical activity, and then fail your baseline test. You know, it's it's everyone. Everyone's different. Literally, everyone is different. I'm light sensitive still because I had mine like six years ago. Yeah. So I got post-concussion syndrome from mine and spent three or four months in light sensitive, noise sensitive. I couldn't get dressed some days. Like some, a lot of people don't get post-concussion syndrome. If you do, it's an absolute bitch. Um, it can ruin. Like there's people, there's NHL players now who who have been out for years with with concussions, whose life has just been. Yeah, Mark Savard, who's who's one of your favorites. He's mm -hmm. never recovered from his concussions. Um, and and, and that's he, a he had a second one. And he so had a second one. Yeah, yeah. He's was yeah, a second not second not concussion. Um. I, I, I'm attempting to regain where my train of thought was going with this, um, but it no baseline. What I was wondering, so I know with with hockey, uh, I'm I, I believe that at least at an NHL level, that all players are required to undertake a baseline testing at the start of a season, so that if they are suspected of having a concussion, they have a comparative thing so that they can understand if there's a, a discrepancy in brain function. I'm curious mm -hmm. whether that is something that is involved in, I guess, the setup for a new season with, with the Formula One team. Are they required to undergo baseline testing for something like a concussion rather than just, I guess, physical fitness and, and, and those kind of things? I wonder if it's even a – maybe it's a part of the physical fitness testing that they undergo at the start of the season. Yeah. I mean, it's a sport. 
It's yeah. not technically a contact sport, but you might have contact. I mean, so. I th- you've got to think it. You've got to think it probably is simply because of the amount of focus they've put on in the last couple of years of improving, um, for improving, you know, the risk of head injuries. You know, the Hans systems and all that kind of stuff that they've introduced over the years. You want to think that it is part of it, but I, I'd be curious to know. So it came out recently that Lotus hired Carmen Jorda as their development driver. Now which it's is kind kind of interesting. If 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 you don't know who Carmen Jorda is because you don't pay a particular amount of attention to the the lower tier racing, uh, Jorda was a GP3 driver the past three seasons. I believe most recently she raced for now I think they're called Coronen. It's C O R A I N E N something along those lines. Um, my pronunciation not great. Um, but she raced for them last year, I think in 14 races maybe. Um, she was actually, I guess, booted from the team, I guess, towards the end of the last season and was replaced by a, uh, uh English driver, uh, male. Um, so I think for the time, at the time, last season at least, she was the only GP3 driver, a female GP3 driver, same for GP2, there's no, uh, no women in GP2. Um, and so Jorda has gone from having no GP2, GP3 drive to being the development driver at Rotus. And this caught quite a few people off guard. Uh, it's not exactly a move that I think anyone expected. Um, we got two reasonably controversial quotes from it. Uh, first from uh, Mitch Evans, so uh, former GP3 champion, current GP2 driver who stated that it wasn't the 1st of April, uh, I guess implying that this should have been an April Fool's joke. Um, and the second quote is from Rob Cregan, who had been her GP3 teammate in her first uh, GP3 season, um, who said on Twitter, Carmen Jordan couldn't develop a role of film, let alone a hybrid Formula One car. Rude. I'm going to let you respond to this because... All right. We do these podcasts via a, a video chat, and I can see your face right now, and the silent teeth grit as it just as like the rage kind of elevates. Like your face yeah. is now the exact same red shade. Is that red hoodie you're wearing? I'm just I'm trying to imagine if these guys said that to a colleague at any level of any sort of professional job. Yeah. And what the reaction would be if it weren't sports? Here's the it thing: wouldn't I be, it wouldn't be acceptable. It just would not be acceptable. And you know, I get that. Oh, they're young guys; they don't know what. No, you know what? Grow the hell up and yeah. be professional, and don't be trash talking your colleagues. I think you make a good point here, regardless of whether or not it's an absurd situation. Regardless of whether or not you think she should be there or you think she shouldn't. Regardless of any of that, there are certain things that you do not say on Twitter when you are a professional sportsman. And those are derogatory comments about your teammate or derogatory comments about anybody. You get in trouble. Yes. Unless you're, you know, these guys and you're talking about women. Apparently. Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, I think um, we 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 were we were talking about um or I believe someone was like oh, look I hope someone pulls aside I hope Weber pulls Evans aside and says look Matt you can't say that I hope I Weber pulls him aside and whacks him over the head honestly I don't think that was going to happen because I believe Mark Weber just retweeted the comment which and, oh, I can't believe men oh. <laughs> I I I am a big Mark Weber fan love the guy I think he's a lovely human being. But he's not exactly up there on the scale of people that say sensible things about women in sport. So we'll just we'll just exclude him from this conversation. That's a whole other can of worms. That's that a whole other thing we're not going to get into today. Yeah. But yeah, firstly, those guys were out of line. Regardless whether you think she should be there or not, there's a certain time to act like professionals, and this isn't it. I understand, you know, I understand that they're probably annoyed or they feel like they've got more rightful claims to spots, whatever. You still don't say these things. You know what, though? I thought her response was very professional. I did. I thought so as well. I've got the, I've got the quote here. So, um, build, which is the uh, paradigm of one. sporting virtue. When <laughs> in, in Germany. Oh. Um, if, you're any, if you're a football fan, of a, a, if you're a Bundesliga fan, which I am, you learn to take anything Bill says with a <laughs> little bit of salt. <laughs> 
basically they're like the, the German, they're the New York Post of Germany. I guess is a good way to put it. So um, her quote in Bill, which I think is actually quite a great quote, uh, Formula One is full of jealousy. There are a few cockpits, so only a few can make it. Bubba's obviously jealous that I'm here and he is not. I wish him all the best. That's all I can say. I literally have been just sitting in and Jordan saying this, being like, guess what, though? You may be a better driver than me, regardless, but I'm here and you're not, so suck it. Suck everything. Like, like good job. I just imagine her being like, uh-huh, and you know what? I wish you all the best. Mic drop. Because here's the thing, all right? Here's the thing. I don't care what her credentials are. I don't care how good she is. She does have the seat, so I'm going to cheer for her. Yeah. The end. And I think, and I think you and I have touched on this. I mean, I I went through and did a comparative of guys in similar roles and what their backgrounds are for hers. And yes, look, there is no two ways about it. There is a very dramatic difference between her background and her success to some of the others who've got these roles. But at the end of the day, no ifs, no buts. She has this seat, and you and I have both discussed this. That regardless of everything else is that we want her to do well. I want to see Carmen Jordan do well. I want to I want to back her, support her. I want to see her succeed because her success is a success for women in motorsport. True. And here's what here's what I hope is going to happen. All right. She's driving for Lotus. Lotus clearly needs the money. She obviously gave Lotus enough money to warrant getting a seat with no experience, which is fine. It is what it is. It is what it is. I'm hoping that, you know, she spends time helping Lotus develop the car. She spends time in their simulators. She gets some experience. She takes it back to whatever series she gets into, and she does well. Perfect. Fine. That would be ideal. Yeah, it takes a lot of money, but you know what? It takes a lot of money for a lot of guys to get into this sport, too. So that's fine. Um, And, you know, honestly, that keeps Lotus going, too, and it means that we don't lose more F1 teams. There is literally nothing bad about this. I guess I... I guess for me, my concern, and, and, and it's not necessarily a, yeah, yes, it is a concern, but it's a hard, it's a hard thing to try and phrase. Um, my concern is that if she doesn't do well, and, and we don't know what that looks like, we, we're not privy to inside of the things of what can happen or so forth, but if she doesn't do well and, 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 and loses the position or, or something happens along those lines, I mean... She's probably not going to be in the car. She's dev driving. It doesn't necessarily involve that. We know we saw Susie Wolf in a car um, at some practice sessions when she was in a development uh, development driver phase. But we also know Susie Wolf's a little bit of a different situation as well. Um, she has been around for a long time and, and that and, and has already kind of established herself in that role. So we don't know how much of a true development driver role that had been in previous years. But Here's my fear and my concern. The problem with women in motorsport right now is that there are lots of young girls who are probably not getting the same chances at the entry levels, at the up-and-coming levels. We're talking girls go, trying to go into you know, Formula 3s or Formula Renault 3.5s or aspiring to be GP3 or GP2 or anything like that or, or, the, or the levels that come up from you know, 10 to 15 in those karting competitions. The, these young girls are not getting the same opportunities, I think, in a lot of these, in these uh, chances because of their gender rather than their talent. You know, there's there's definitely girls out there who have, you know, proven themselves in, 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 in levels. But when it comes to making a choice between them and someone else who's comparatively similar, you find that the males are generally going to get the chance because they're in, in, in mindset, you know, they, they not say they know what they're getting, but they're more, uh, they more think they're going to succeed. And on the flip side of that, you also have women getting to that point, and just with any other sport, they know that they probably don't have quite as good of a chance, so instead of pursuing it further, they switch back into, you know, going to university or, like, getting, you know, jobs where they are guaranteed to actually succeed. Mm Mm-hmm. So. 
Exactly, and I mean, there's also the other. There's also a whole bunch of other arguments that go into women succeeding in 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 sport in any level. You know, the mentoring and coaching opportunities open to female athletes are are probably very different to the ones open to male athletes because you know we put a lesser value in the success of female athletes, and and I view drivers as athletes. And the funny thing with motorsports is motorsports is one of the few sports in the world where you could make a strong argument that women and men can compete on a comparatively Mm -hmm. uh, similar spectrum because the physical, the physical exertion, yes, whilst it's there, is 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 different. You know, like I could, you know, Nico Rosberg can probably outrun Lewis Hamilton, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Nico Rosberg is going to be a better driver if he's a fitter than Lewis Hamilton. Like there's there's things in there, but I'm meaning like the actual build of it. It, it is it's less obvious, not less obvious, less important. But I think. Mm. I think the thing is, and this is what I keep coming back to, I want Carmen Jordan to succeed because if Carmen Jordan doesn't succeed, it's not Carmen Jordan who fails. It's women in driving who fail. If a development driver from another team fails, they decide he's not good enough, they kick him out, that guy wasn't good enough. He's just someone who wasn't good enough. It doesn't. The story and the narrative doesn't become men aren't good enough to race Formula One cars. Carmen Jorda fails. Carmen Jorda won't fail because she's female. She'll fail because she wasn't good enough. But the story won't be that it was her that wasn't good enough. The story will extrapolate out with the media. And, and you know, not all of them. Some of them are sensible enough to know they're the bullshit. But Carmen Jorda will be the reason. It won't be her. It'll be her gender that will fail. And, and when that happens, that really that damages the chances and the, the fledgling things that are coming up through the sport for women. Now, and, and we did talk about this a little while ago, too. Um, the only way that I see that not happening is because it's Lotus. Mm -hmm. Because Lotus needs the money, yep. the only way I believe that we're going to see Carmen Jorda lose her position ahead of her time is the same reason Simona de Silvestre lost hers at Sauber, where she just suddenly couldn't bankroll the team anymore. And in that yeah, case, you know, it's, it's fine. fine. She loses her position because of the money. That's a thing that happens pretty often. Yeah. And that and I, would be and I think not when, good, but okay. And I think when Simona de Silvestre lost her role, Manisha Kaltenborn went to great lengths to make it very clear that Silvestre had lost her role because they simply could not come to financial and contractual agreements. Yeah. It had nothing to do with Silvestre's talent behind the wheel of a car because... I mean, I'm still of the belief, and I know there's many people out there who believe that Simona de Silvestre could be or could have the potential to have been the first regularly competitive female in a car. No, we don't, like, I love Susie Wolf, unofficial Susie Wolf fan club right here, but I don't see her ever getting into a car in a race situation. I, I don't see it happening. But Simona de Silvestre, I could have seen that. And I wanted to see that. So it was actually really disappointing last season when, when, when that happened. And I think even, I think Manisha Kaltenbaum was genuinely disappointed as well because she wanted her to succeed. They just, Sauber is in a financial situation where they need they that money. You know, they, money yeah, they can't yeah. go on talent alone. So, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of where we stand on this whole thing. I, I, we'd love to hear how other people feel about it, even though, you know, obviously people have expressed their opinions pretty much at length. Yes, yeah. and I, and <laughs> I'm actually really impressed with the way Carmen Jordan has handled it. She's yeah. done it with a lot of dignity because there's been a lot of vitriol. There's well, been hey, a lot she of backlash. Has the job. She's she's <laughs> held her head up and gone with it. Yeah, yeah. So I I hope to see her. Um, you know, at the very least, take whatever experience she gets and go back to you know a legit driving series and rack up some points. Do the thing. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Mm-hmm. So, let's talk about one. Oh, yeah. Can we talk, talk about? about yeah, I was say, let's hell? talk about one last thing before we get on to some predictions before uh, we wrap up. This. Let's talk about the absurdity, the absurdity of the FIA ban on on changing your helmet designs. Because clearly, the FIA yeah. is focusing on the big issues in Formula One. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! So let's important. Let's talk about the affordability of races. Let's know, not talk about our terrible social media presence. Let's not let's talk, talk about, about the teams it. being able to like pay and fund themselves and not, you know, go under. Let's talk about not losing four cars and two teams last year. Let's talk about the big problem: 
Sebastian Vettel likes to change his helmet all the time, and we don't like it. Yes. It's literally only Vettel, too. I mean, yeah, Jensen Button had his pink for Papa helmet last year, but, like, I don't know. Hamilton and and Rosberg didn't change their helmets all year. No, 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 they did. Nico had the World Cup one. Oh, that's right. That's right. Oh, and I think Hamilton had a special one for the U.S. Grand Prix. And Marcus Erickson had his special um, Ronnie... Ronnie Peterson. Ronnie yeah. Peterson yeah. helmet. Yeah. Bern had his uh, Francois Severe one that was really cool. Yeah. And then and then Vettel had I think like eight. Yeah. Vettel has one for everything. Dan Dan had his one with like the the comic Dan. Oh yeah, jeez. But you know what? The point is that these guys do these helmets, and it's something that the fans actually talk about and really yeah. enjoy. So yeah. of course it's a thing that the FIA and, wants to take away from us. To be honest, a, a lot of these helmets actually get donated by the drivers mm-hmm. to charity, um, and they go for a lot of money. We auctioned a, we auctioned Mark Webber's race helmet off. Uh, one of or his pra- one of his practice helmets in two thousand and I'm going to say two thousand and eleven. We auctioned it off, and I think it went for like twelve or fourteen thousand dollars. Like it went for a lot of money. Um, bought by a guy who ran a car insurance company. So and yeah, it makes sense. But, but I mean, I mean these helmets go for a lot of money, and and yeah. and the differences of them also is, is you know that kind of adds to it too. I know. I was gonna say one of the things that I really enjoyed about because obviously I only got into motorsports about a year and a half ago. But one of the things that I really enjoyed coming in was seeing them change their helmets so frequently because you know coming from a sport where the goalies do that. And you know they use the they use their mask to kind of bring out their personality. Yeah. It's really interesting to see what they do with them, and you know see what kind of changes they're going to do for. I which mean, I I think the logic that they have used is they're trying to they're trying to <laughs> capture lightning in a bottle. They're trying to go back and try and revert to the old the older days when you had guys the centers and the pros and those guys who had those helmets that signified them yeah. that were their brand, they were their thing, you know. It was it was their I guess their image. You saw that helmet, you knew who it was. You know, some of the drivers nowadays change their helmets so much that that doesn't happen. But to be honest, I also think that the actual graphic stylings of helmet nowadays are so dramatically different to what they used to be that they don't mean themselves to be iconic in a one off opportunity. You know, like I look at I look at the drivers' helmets that they've had in previous years. Short of actually the Vettel one this year with the white and the the, the, the three German stripes, mm-hmm. none of them stand out to me as iconic because maybe JB's Union Jack JB one, but because there's just so many facets to to the styling of them, they're not that old school bold colouring. No, they're more like the hockey goalie masks where yeah. you have pieces all over it. But you know what? And you they, can't they're, do they're not iconic. They're not bold because from a distance you can't see half the detail. But here's the thing: you can't do those iconic helmets anymore because the helmets are covered in sponsor stickers. Yep, they I weren't agree. back in the seventies. You know, James Hunt had that awesome helmet with the three stripes going down the side that Raikkonen did a did a spin-off of a couple years yep. ago, and it was awesome. Sever had that beautiful French flag colored one yep. that you know Jeb did. But you you look at John Eric Verne's like throw off of it, and it's got sponsor logos all over it, which it's it is what it is, but. You know, yeah. you're never going to get something iconic with, with ads all over it. I love the, look, I love the fact that Vettel was like, so if I change my helmet, what are you going to do? Like, you're going to find me like $1,000? Because I could literally just see him being like, oh, great, I'll pay that $1,000. I'm going to pay that fine in ones. <laughs> do a Patrick Waugh. Did you, so little side story. One time, Patrick Waugh is this, uh, if you don't watch hockey, he's this super famous um, guy from Quebec, a goalie who won a lot of stuff, whatever. Um, he got fined when he played in Montreal, and he paid the fine in coins. It was like $5,000 he paid it in coins. It was either when he was playing in Montreal or when he was coaching in Quebec. But there's definitely a story of him paying in, like, sacks of coins because he wanted to, you know, say F you to the league. I hope Vettel does that. Pay it in euros. Single euro coins. Like, here we are. I bought you, I bought you your $1,000. But like literally, it's like okay, so you get fined a thousand dollars for charity. Okay, so at the end of the season, Sebastian Vettel is going to pay what fifteen thousand dollars to charity. Yeah. Plus Who's he sells. Who's looking hundred. like the good guy here? Yeah. Said yeah. fifteen thousand dollars to charity. Had a bunch of different helmets. Gave them to charities. Mhm. 
Like, really? Like, what you gonna do about it, bitches? <laughs> Literally nothing. Literally, Literally nothing. nothing. What is your favorite helmet from the last, you know, couple of years? Oh, jeez. If you had to pick one. I really, really like, and I can't remember if it's, I, I, I reckon it's Singapore. I reckon it was one of Vettel's Singapore helmets that had all the colored, like, the iridescent all, one? Yeah, that yeah, was Singapore. The iridescent one, I think, was, like, swirly spots. Mm-hmm. I really loved that. Um, look, to be honest, I'm actually really fond of Susie Wolf's testing helmet, the one that she wears, just because I love, I love the Martini Racing colour scheme. It's my un- unashamed favourite livery there. I love it, and I just love the stars and stuff on it, and I, I like her. So I really like that one as well. Yeah, her style is pretty awesome. I, I do like the little stars on the chin, like... Yeah, it's pretty It cute. looks good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I do. I I love Jev's Tver one. I love um, and I loved the Ronnie Peterson one that um that Ericsson had. Yeah, yeah. I, I was gonna say one of those two has to be my favorite. Yeah. Although I obviously did like Nico's German German national team when he he got to have the World Cup trophy on the top yeah. and they made him take it off. Yeah. Uh, I thought the trophy looked really cool from up above. Yeah. Um. Obviously, also, JB's pink helmet is really cool. Yep. There's actually, I think, I think it was Autosports or someone recently did an article on, like, their top, fa- their favorite um, F1 helmets of, like, the last however many years. And there was mm-hmm. one I saw that was really cool that I hadn't seen before because it was way before my kind of being an F1 fan time. Um, and it was someone had, um, someone had painted their helmet with, like, chalk paint. Oh, that was. I think it was Vincenzo. What the name no, escapes me right now? Was it Fisichella? I don't think so. Um, I know I saw a picture of this. Uh, and I'm gonna look it up. But um, yeah, you and I both in here going like googling Formula One helmet with chalk paint. Here it <laughs> is. I found the picture of it. I'm just trying to figure out whose it was. Uh, Reddit is now pulling it, the answer up for me because if you don't know something, ask Reddit. Reddit knows. Vitantonio Luizzi. Oh, wow. I was like, um, I know his initials are like V-L and I'm sure it's Luizzi, but I'm not yeah. 100%. 2011 Brazilian Grand Prix. Yeah. Huh. So he kind of started colouring it in as the, the thing went, but it was, I just thought it was a really odd, neat idea. That is a really cool idea, yeah. But I mean, that's that's the kind of thing that we're not going to get to see and it's it sucks. No, so. you're right. Like, um, I, I think, yeah, F1 Fanatic has a really great article, and I'll link to it in the, into the uh, post uh, over at thegridgirls.com for, for this uh, podcast. Um, but it has just a bit of a great collection of some great F1, um, like, one-off helmets. You've got the James Hunt helmet in uh, Kimi Raikkonen at Lotus in Monaco in 2012. You've got Monaco 2013. A, mo- a lot of these are actually Monaco. Like, the first, like, four or five of these are all Monaco helmets. Um <laughs> There's a couple of Fernando Alonso ones, JB's real, like, button uh, uh, flag ones. Uh, there's definitely quite a few Vettel ones because, obviously, he gets a little bit creative with yeah. them. Um, there's a couple ones for Sauber. I think they were both uh, Monte Carlo last year. So, Sutil and Guterres had the real comic-y strip. Not comic-y strip, but kind of, like, cartoony, arthousey mm. ones, which were really neat. But yeah, I'll, I'll put the link up. There's some really great ones there. We all know Seb has some great helmet collections there too. Yeah. yeah. So I guess the last thing we're going to touch on before we wrap up for the night is with the first race of the season starting in just under 11 days' time. Are we going to guess our podiums? Let's guess podiums. Look, here's what I think we should do. Firstly, <laughs> let's go balls out, let's go big. Who wins the season? Let's start Nico Rosberg. Right. So team, I'm not even gonna team and I want team and driver. Okay. Mercedes, Nico Rosberg. Yeah, look, I pretty much am gonna go with you there. <laughs> I mean, I, I I won't be surprised if it's either of the Mercedes drivers. To be honest, I actually probably wouldn't be surprised if it was either of the Ferrari drivers either. Um, yeah. I, I, okay. When I say I wouldn't be surprised if, like, Williams oh, and Lotus won, I would be surprised. <laughs> but I think if Williams Ferrari has a good chance. Are you kidding? What did you say? I think Williams has a great chance. They well, had a great think, testing. Yeah, but Williams also were really good last year. They didn't win yeah. anything. 
Listen, I think that they're going to... Beltary, Bottas, fingers crossed. Look, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Bottas win his first race this year. Pretty sure he has I think it's race definitely going to happen this year. I could, I I can, I can put happen. money on that. Do I think he could win the championship this year? No. No. Do I think Raikkonen or Vettel could? Yeah. No. Yeah. I think no. No. No way. <laughs> Do I, I don't think, think so. they're going to? God, no. No. Okay. Do I think they possibly could? Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Do I think they're going to? No. No. I think it's going this to be Mercedes, and I would really, like it. Really skeptical face at Sasky right now because I don't think Ferrari's going to do anything close to that good. <laughs> Nothing really surprises me, but I'm all I'm like mostly complacent about just about everything. It's like, oh, that guy won. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Guess some things. Do I, do all I, right. I, so who's your? Do I think it's going to be anyone other? I don't than care what you think. Make no. a guess. And I think it's. <laughs> and I want it to be Nico Rosberg. I would rather it not be Lewis Hamilton. I would like it to be Nico Rosberg. Is it? If it's Lewis Hamilton, not surprised at all. But no. it'll be Mercedes, and I would like it to be Nico Rosberg. All right, so who's your podium for Australia? Look, I'll tell I'm you mine not... first. My podium, just because you don't think Bottas is going to win anything, I'm going to say Bottas, Rosberg, and Hamilton oh, on no, podium, no, 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 with no, Bottas no, no, winning. No, no, I would like Bottas to win something, and I actually think he can. I don't think he's going to win a championship. I think he will win a race, and I would really love to see him win a race because he's a great driver, and I fucking love the Williams racing team. There you go. There you go. But I'm giving him a win in Australia. There I we still go. think Australia is Nico Lewis, Seb, Nico Lewis, Valtteri. I think it's two Mercedes, and then it's either a Ferrari or a Williams. It's a safe bet. I think. It is a safe bet, but to be honest, <laughs> what have we learned about Formula One in the last year? You could practically predict every race. Uh, yeah, that's one true. Of these three except, guys. Except Canada. <laughs> except Canada. Well, one of these three guys. Well, one of these, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, Daniel Ricciardo was the third guy in that list. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Excuse me. Excuse me. Well, there we go. There we are. So, that wraps us up for the night, and uh, we will see you <laughs> after say, Australia. Who's coming last? But we really, really. Oh man, no, we could do that too, but we're not gonna. We're not gonna do that. <laughs> we're not going to be me. Wait, one more question. How many cars will finish the Australian Grand Prix? How many cars have we got racing this year? Eighteen. As of right now, yes. I'm going with. I'm going 15. with twelve to thirteen. Thirteen, I think. I go fifteen. Well, I'm not sure if the McLarens will finish. You've got to count someone in a Sauber or a Lotus hitting someone, so that takes out at least two. It's very pessimistic of you, Sasky. <laughs> but it's pessimism based on truth. It's pessimism based on love. <laughs> <laughs> and having watched quite a few and Australian stories. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Okay, so I guess it's time for us to wrap up. This is The Grid Girls. This is our... Second episode, uh, we will be back after the Grand Prix in Australia. Please and give us feedback on Twitter if you liked it, if you have suggestions or questions or comments. Demands you can find fun. us on uh, Sarah Connors, so at, at Sarah underscore Connors. You'll find me at Sasky Stewart. Um, obviously, when the season starts and we've got some races, it's going to be a hell of a lot more structured because we're going to be getting the same race every, the same kind of thing every couple of weeks. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. um... For now, we are out of here. Bye. Thanks for joining us. I'm Saskia Stewart. That was Sarah Connors, and this was the latest edition of The Good Girls. We'll see you at the next race.